This is an American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. Katie, how are you doing on this fine, uh, unusual recording day? I'm well. It's nice to do this on a Monday, get uh, get a little start on it. And I know you like it because Chad does the editing for us, so he doesn't have to cram it all into one night. Well, it, it means I get to procrastinate doing it. <laughs> and then cram and it so in on one. <laughs> I, I, Yeah, right. <laughs> Still going to happen on Wednesday night, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll see. <laughs> uh, anyways, thank you all for tuning in. Uh, we want to thank a couple of people before we just jump right in uh, because hey exciting week we're starting a new season we haven't had one of those since like may i think is when we started season five or maybe wow. april uh it's a long season yeah <laughs> uh so thank you yeah it is longest so thank you to carter on patreon for being our newest subscriber there and thank you for uh reaching out to us via email greg you've reached out a few times and we always appreciate hearing from people for additional discussion or whatever else you have to offer. We just like to talk. So thanks. Continue reaching out. And of course we are recording on Monday. So um, if you reach out later in this week, we'll, we'll get you next week. Um, we're not forgetting those of you who may reach out in the next couple of days. Well, going straight into our episode discussions, we are starting with the season six premiere, which is gossip it aired on September 17th of 2009. It was directed and written by our very own Toby, Paul Lieberstein. Michael learns some gossip about Stanley and begins to spread the news. He likes to feel included in things. However, when Jim says that Michael could potentially be ruining Stanley's life with this news, Michael decides to spread lots of false gossip so that no one would know what the real news was. At the end of a very long, rumor-filled day, Michael is about to out Stanley's news as the one true fact, but instead, Jim and Pam take the fall and admit to the office that they are pregnant. So the 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 framing framing device isn't the correct thing, but what's happening in this episode, the sort of background event, is that it's the end of the summer, and their summer interns. It's their last day. In fact, the the episode opens with uh, Dwight having one of the interns go to the filing cabinet behind accounting. Uh, putting it in random order just so that she can come back to him for him to assign her to put it back in alphabetical order. Yeah. Like it's the last day of work and that's the kind of stuff they're having him do. So that that's sort of what's happening in the background. And what sort of starts this whole ball rolling is Michael overhears a couple people in the break room to, uh, talking about a possible romance between two of these three interns and uh, Kelly Kelly says, if they get married before I do, I'm going to kill myself, which I could say that was the first time we'd heard Kelly threaten to kill herself, uh, but it's not. Yeah. <laughs> but but Michael, walking by and passing or being nearby, hears if they get married and says, who's getting married? And he thinks it's this big, juicy secret that these two people might be in a relationship together or might be interested in each other, let alone maybe not even in a relationship at this point. And so he starts to share it with Dwight. Listen to this unsubstantiated information I have, you know? And Dwight ends up knowing a whole lot more about the supposed relationship than Michael does. And so that's when Michael says what you alluded to in the, the summary. He hates feeling left out of the loop 
or left out of things in general. And I mean, I, I understand the pain of exclusion, but the fact of the matter is if Michael didn't react the way he does when he learns a secret, people may include him on things more often, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's sort of a catch-22. And this framing device, as you put it, is is important in the plot because although it's a very minor, like, we usually have an A story and a B story, this is an A story and an itty-bitty B story in the background. This is mostly about the rumors. Um, but it's important because it gets the ball rolling. So the interns were out at a uh, club, basically, and they see Stanley out with who they presume to be his wife. Stanley and his wife out on a date. It turns out that that was not Stanley's wife. That was another woman. And Michael has learned this. Uh, Terry, Stanley's wife, is out of town. So he now has the information that Stanley was out with someone else and they were kissing. So he feels so empowered with this knowledge that no one else seems to have that I have this piece of juicy gossip. And this one actually is pretty juicy gossip. And he decides to tell Anyone really, uh, he, he he starts with Kelly, which is kind of a great place to start because you know she's going to be interested. You know she's going to spread the word. So Michael really um, thrives on, on, on being on the inside of, of this news. Big flashback to season two. Michael couldn't hold in Jim's crush on Pam in The Secret. Just last episode, he couldn't hold in The Secret about the Buffalo Branch. I mean, in his defense, maybe he didn't know that it was a secret, but still, if he had used some common sense, he would have known. Uh, so Michael has a tradition of letting secrets loose. And now the second he finds out Stanley was kissing a woman who is not his wife, Michael, his immediate reaction is to literally walk around the office, go from desk to desk and say, listen to this piece of information I know. And then when Jim confronts him about spreading that information, you know, say it might not be true. You might be ruining Stanley's life if Terry were to hear and believe this, even if it wasn't true. And so instead of dropping it at that point, Michael takes it another step further and says, okay, well, let me go ask Stanley if this rumor I'm spreading about him is true. (laughs) That's it's awful. And it's only after he talks with Stanley and Stanley says, I can trust you to to not tell people, right, Michael? I, I trust that you can keep this as a secret between us. That's when Michael's like, oh, crap. Well, I got to come up with some sort of solution because I already done tell. I, I told everybody. Everybody knows now because of me. And, you know, I've got to say, it's not terrible logic to, to come up with all these fake rumors in order to uh, hide the one that is true. But the problem is it's at the expense of everybody else. Right. I get that he felt panicked and had to come up with some kind of solution here. It was not ideal, especially since you're right. It involved people in the office, um, including Angela dating an 81-year-old billionaire. Kelly has an eating disorder, which is not a very good rumor to spread. Like, that's, you know, really personal and awful. That Kelly might get fired. Andy's gay. Creed has asthma. Oscar is the voice of the Taco Bell dog. Toby is a virgin. He has a daughter, but he's a virgin. Um, There's another person inside of Kevin working him with controls. Dwight (laughs) buys uh, store-bought manure. Someone here is a J. Crew model, and Pam is pregnant. Whoops, that one's true. But Michael doesn't know it. So he's now spreading two rumors that are true. 
which uh, comes into play at the end of the episode, of course. So when everyone is in on the fact that Michael has been lying to everybody and spreading fake rumors all day, they try to learn the real one. They say, I think it's Phyllis says, you owe it to us. We deserve to know. Uh, Not really. But Pam and Jim step in and, as Michael puts it, fall on their sword because he did happen to get that one right by random guess. Uh, He he picked the easy jokes with everybody, to be honest. Um, But then after he's been given this get out of jail free card here, you don't have to own up to the fact that you told everybody that Stanley's actually having an affair. He's like, wait a second. This isn't the lie I was talking about. It was, it was this other thing. It's like, it was handed to him on a silver platter, a way to get out of the situation he's in. And he says, what, but wait, but wait, Stanley is having an affair. You have to know this. Uh, I, I don't know what compels him, but it's like, he's almost dead set on ruining Stanley's marriage. You know? You're right. He has this great opportunity to succeed in his crazy plot that shouldn't have worked. And it starts to work. (laughs) There was an out. Pam is pregnant and they are willing to divulge that information and share with the office. Um, Because Jim was the first one that said, hey, Michael, maybe don't spread this gossip because A, it's none of your business. And B, Stanley, I mean, you could be ruining his life. Whether it's true or not, it's not your business to share. Mm -hmm. And uh Jim kind of sees this unfolding and sees Michael start to want to say the real news. Um, and they, they, they take that <laughs> fall for Stanley. It's funny though. Uh, even if the, the pregnancy was fake, if, if it was just something that Michael made up, it, it wasn't true at all, even by accident. There's clearly one of those things that is a life ruiner. And one of those things that is not. Like, if Michael spreads the rumor that Pam was pregnant and Jim claims in the moment to save Stanley's marriage, yes, it was us. She is pregnant. The worst that comes out of that is Pam's not pregnant. Yeah. You know? But if it had actually been Stanley's... Well, I mean, we see the results of Michael's actions here. Uh, also because he called Terry... Stanley's wife, uh, to, to, to make sure she was actually out of town. And then he answers the phone and calls her Cynthia twice. After, She's the other woman. Uh, yeah. yeah, the other woman. After uh, promising Jim that he was going to handle this phone call. And it's the very first thing he says is he calls her the wrong name. So by the end of the episode, Michael's car is getting destroyed because Stanley's pissed that his marriage is over and it's all Michael's fault. And apparently this was not the first time this has happened. Terry had been suspicious and actually had caught Stanley and Cynthia a few months prior. So, uh, Mm -hmm. oh, Stanley. uh, Yeah. Yikes. Um, (laughs) It ended up that there were two true rumors. I thought it was interesting that um, since you said something about one is a life ruiner, one is not. When Michael was about to divulge the information, tell the true, true rumor, he says, the true rumor, and it's going to ruin this person's life, is that blank. And yeah. then Jim fills it in. It's like, you guys are getting married. Like, it may have been unplanned, but it's not the worst thing. You're having a baby. Like, that's awesome. So yeah. it was just good timing, but um, Jim clearly knew what Michael's going to say. Yeah. Um, and to specify, we haven't said this yet, I don't think, Cynthia, uh, the the woman that 
Stanley is having an affair with is his nurse from rehab, I guess, after he had his heart attack. Yeah. Um, he tells Michael, and this seems like a sincere moment. I don't know for sure how sincere it is. He says, you know, Terry's been traveling a lot. I've been lonely. I didn't intend for it to get this far. In fact, I'm on my way right now to cut things off with her and to end this. We find out by the end of the episode when Michael tells us, uh, you know, Terry or Cynthia is married too. So these are two married people having an affair with each other. So it, it goes beyond just Stanley's side. I, I don't know. I, I'm sure we'll find out more about that in the future at some point. But I, I don't know how genuine Stanley was in his apology, especially since apparently it happened before, too. And I love in the car when Michael is asking Stanley if this is true. And he says, yeah, I'm on my way to break up with her right now. Michael says, wait, you told me you were going out to make a sales call. Do people do this? <laughs> <laughs> Stanley's like, dude, not the time, not the point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not really much else to talk about in this episode as far as character development goes. I do want to point out one character. Uh, it's Andy, because, oh my goodness. Uh, Andy hears the rumor that he's gay. And so he starts to question his sexuality as if you learn things like that you're gay about from, your, from other people rather than from yourself. Like that that's where that information comes from, is from an exterior source, not from within. So Andy goes to Oscar, the resident gay person, to see what he thinks. And he spins this weird fantasy scenario with Brad Pitt at a beach cabana and how he might resist it first, but then give in to see what it was like. But rather than sort of talk it out with Andy, Oscar says yeah, yeah, you might be gay and pieces out. He's like, I'm done with this. He says, what exactly is my my responsibility here to comfort insecure heterosexual men? That can't possibly fall to me. <laughs> and so Oscar just pieces out. And he's just, he's so absurd in this episode. I love that back and forth because um, Andy's like, well, I'm definitely resist, but you know, I might give in. And Oscar's like, wait, if you resisted Brad Pitt, he would still need to get to you. <laughs> And Andy says, well, not the real Brad Pitt. This is like, this is a fantasy. It's like, okay, yeah. well, if Brad Pitt's in your fantasies, you might be gay. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't know what to tell you. And so then later in the episode, when Michael tells everybody, yeah, so all of these except for one were false rumors. And Andy says, oh, so I'm not gay? <laughs> Michael says, no. He says, yes. <laughs> like, that's the confirmation. And then when they're trying to figure out what the one true rumor was, and he's like, yeah, I deserve to know. Am I gay? Am I it, gay? It's all dependent. He's, it, it, it's absurd. It's the best way I can put it. It's the best word to describe the situation where Andy is relying on Michael, of all people, to determine his sexuality. Well, with that, should we move into some funny moments? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> the cold open here is uh, the parkour cold open, of course. That's classic. I think one of the more popular ones. Yeah, it's. Uh, as Jim says, the internet sensation of 2004, of course, this was released <laughs> in 2009, so they're several years late. Michael, Dwight, and Andy are all doing parkour all over the office, which, if you're not familiar and you have not seen the episode, which I assume you have, is um, where you basically, ideally, not in the office version, you like flip over things and jump from building to building, and it's really impressive, but... These people are not super athletic, so they are basically just like hopping on chairs and desks. <laughs> and Jim says, so technically they are doing parkour as long as point A is delusion and point B is the hospital. 
we <laughs> end the cold open with the three of them on top of a delivery truck. And Andy plans to jump from the truck to what he thinks is a refrigerator in a box to the dumpster. However, it is not a refrigerator in a box. It is just the refrigerator box. And he follows straight through. And yeah, I think Jim <laughs> predicted that he would end up in the hospital. Yeah, I think so. Uh, my, my favorite part is when I think Dwight is running through the, the kitchen and his parkour is like, opening the refrigerator door as he walks yeah. by and closing it and then kicking the bathroom door, revealing Meredith spraying what looks like room deodorant in her pits. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> it's a classic cold open. I like it a lot. But yeah. um, let's see. Michael, when he's on his spree of telling everybody about Stanley, he decides to tell Kevin about the affair through a game of Hangman that Kevin is doing extremely poorly on. Michael has drawn up to the stick man is now holding a pencil. <laughs> and he has eyebrows and like a hat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when the office is having lunch and Michael overhears, if they get married before me, I'm going to kill myself. He, as you said, doesn't know what they're saying. And he's begging someone tell me what this means. Um, and he's just so calmly says, if someone doesn't tell me, I'm going to start screaming. Like, <laughs> he's just so juvenile. And I just love that. Like, he he poses something so immature in such a mature way. He just calmly says, I will start screaming. <laughs> like, I'm sure this happens all the time. I love how completely not assuring Michael's face is when Stanley says, uh, well, when he, when he tells Stanley, you can count on me. To not tell everyone about the affair. And he's he's got like this grimace on his face. It's almost like back in season three when uh for branch closing, he says, All I've gotta do is put on a brave face for these people, and then it cuts to him with like snarling his face because he, he can't keep a brave face. It's the same sort of thing here. It's like, Yeah, I I, I totally got you, man. And it, his face is not assuring at all. There is a talking head with Michael. Um, where he says, I hate, hate, hate being left out, whether it's not being picked for a team or being picked for a team and showing up and realizing the team doesn't exist or that the sport doesn't exist. I should have known. <laughs> Poop ball. <laughs> it's a pretty famous uh, talking head. I think there's yeah. many a gif on that one. When it, it's revealed that Pam actually is pregnant, that's not just something that Michael made up. Uh, he approaches her and says, or the two of them and says, how long have you known about the pregnancy? A week? A month? A year? Yes, a they've year. known about this pregnancy <laughs> for a year. Because they are meticulous planners, apparently. <laughs> this one is, I think, one of the most famous Creed moments, actually. Like, yeah. one of the more popular ones, where Creed... Um, as I mentioned earlier, it's rumored briefly that he has asthma. And so Creed approaches Jim and Pam. He says, hey, did one of you tell Stanley I have asthma? Because I don't. And if it gets out, they won't let me scuba. And then we cut to a talking head where he says, if I can't scuba, then what is this all been about? What am I working toward? And that's all we get. So he's under the impression that somehow working at Dunder Mifflin is a step towards something and scuba is a part of that. I... Don't know. I would love to hear any and all theories. Yeah, it's best not to ask too many questions. 
uh, there's this exchange between Dwight and the interns. He's giving out, uh, basically, I, I don't know if they're letters of recommendation or if it's just like forms that had to be filled out. Uh, oh, it says present these to the Dean for credit. And then Dwight says, you know, also attached as a gift. Here's my card. Call me any time of the day or night. One of the interns says, why would we call you at night? And so Dwight snatches the business card off and says, well, now you can't call me at all. Problem solved. And then uh, skipping forward just slightly in that conversation, Dwight says, look at the intern to your left. Now to your right. One of you will do exceedingly well in business. Just unlimited potential. One of you will make a living and nothing more. And one of you will make a great mother. It's up to you to choose which one you want to be. And we Ooh. should clarify that the interns are two men and one woman. So. Yes. So I wonder which one's the mother. Mm. <laughs> there's there's that, that shrewd narrow-mindedness. Yeah. There was the rumor, of course, about someone being a J. Crew model. Uh, I think it was Meredith who said, I, th- I thought that was Jim. And Michael meant, no, I, I meant me. Um, and then he says, because a lot of people think that models, even though they're very attractive, are somewhat vapid. It set our industry back quite a bit. I like how he says our industry as if he is a model for real. <laughs> and it's like really something that bothers him that he feels like he's looked down on because he's just so pretty. One of my favorite just like tiny small lines in this episode is uh, when Stanley is telling Michael about the affair. He's confirming that it exists. He's saying, you know, why why Cynthia? How it just happened? And he, he uses the line... We used to go on these long walks on the treadmill (laughs) on the truck. It's like you picture like romantic walks on the beach, but no, this is romantic long walks on the treadmill. It's a small thing, but it makes me laugh. (laughs) I have a small one too. Uh, Kelly, of course, was rumored to have a, uh, an an eating disorder and they're eating cake for the interns. And and Kelly says, I'm so happy you're eating again. And Kelly has a mouthful of cake. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) <laughs> i feel that yeah <laughs> yeah same um my last one kevin uh suspected that pam was pregnant because her breasts were slightly bigger and she doesn't need a bra with padding and so he says it just didn't add up jim that's <laughs> great thank you. <laughs> you, you you figured it out kevin good on you and last one for me um pam and jim have a talking head together where they say, you know, we're, we're not telling anybody that we're pregnant. Um, and Jim says, well, with her being unmarried, knocked up by some guy, I mean, people would go crazy. Pam says, yeah, we don't want people thinking that, you know, we're being, having a shotgun wedding, that my dad is, is chasing Jim down the, down the aisle with a shotgun. Jim says, there's not going to be a shotgun, because that changes everything. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, he's joking around, of course, but Pam is like, yeah, go ahead, leave. That's fine. <laughs> I just, I always like that back and forth between them. Mm-hmm. Now going into deleted scenes, uh, I didn't have a whole lot to note in this set. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it was only like two or three minutes anyways of deleted scenes. Uh, the first is the realization that Ryan isn't allowed to talk to the interns. Uh, he asked one of them to make copies uh, for him and they say, you can't talk to us. And it's because Ryan asked them to withdraw an obscene amount of pennies. I think he said 200. It might have been 2,000 uh, number of pennies from the bank in search for rare ones. So there's a shot of pennies and penny wrappers uh, all over the conference room table. 
And he says, you know, they found one worth almost seven cents. And then in that same sort of chunked, deleted scene, uh, Dwight says he used the interns in sort of a rudimentary messaging service where they passed physical notes around the office, sort of like carrier pigeons, basically. And he says, you know, but it didn't compare to instant messaging, which has a stranglehold on the whole instant messaging market. But yeah, because you, yeah. you type your message, you hit a button and the person gets it. There's no travel or searching the message for who it's meant or intended for. Uh, but yeah, those are two interactions with the the interns. And I guess the only other one that I really wanted to mention um, was a bit odd, but eh, why not mention it? Dwight is quizzing the interns on paper knowledge and Megan asks... Uh, She's one of the interns asks why they can't just write the info down and reference it when needed instead of memorizing this seemingly useless information. Dwight goes on to tell the story of a young man who goes into Cooper's seafood and orders his first lobster, except he pronounces it lobster. The waiter corrects him and they get to talking. The waiter is then fired for talking to the young man too much. He now works at a small storage business and to this day is one of the young man's smallest clients. Um... Just a little story, I guess, on, on Dwight's history in favor. And Dwight also says that the intern's generation could not fight in a war. He himself has never fought, but could if he had to. Specifically, the Boer War on South Africa. He couldn't fight in Iraq or Afghanistan Afghanistan, pardon, uh, because there's too much hummus, <laughs> was his reasoning. <laughs> he would prefer sounds... the cuisine of South Africa, I guess. Yeah, sounds reasonable to me. Yes. Uh, I had one more to mention, nice and short. Uh, the Jet Li intern. I'm sorry, I didn't w- bother actually learning his name. I, um, I do know it. It's, um, oh, please. Mari. <laughs> Mori. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he gives Dwight a 3D uh, origami. I don't think, I don't know if origami is 3D, but anyways, it's, it's folded paper apple as a thank you for everything sort of gift. Like, thank you for allowing me to intern here. And Dwight just like marvels over this thing. He's like, man, that must be more than 40 folds. Wow. He's just like holding it in his hand, 40 folds. It's pretty <laughs> He's cool. He's so amazed. It, 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 it made me laugh. It shouldn't have, but it, it, it's, it, it was pretty funny. Going on to our discussion topic, um, simple question. What do we think compelled Michael to tell everyone what he learned about Stanley? Because, you know, we know that he doesn't like to be kept out of the loop. We know he likes knowing secrets because it means he's not out of the loop. But why divulge the secrets? And, you know, in this instance, if he feels like he needs to sort of wave it over everyone else, like, I know something you don't know, why not simply share that he knows something they don't know without revealing what it is? thus actually maintaining it as a secret. I think because, I mean, if you look at Kelly's, like, uh, if you look at Kelly's response to Michael telling her the secret, she was so Mm -hmm. fascinated. She wanted to talk to him and find out more. And Michael doesn't get to have conversations with people a whole lot. I feel like uh, that aren't work related. Um, No one at the office besides Dwight really wants to, have personal conversations with Michael. And so this is something that he can captivate them with, that he can tell a story and he likes that personal time. He likes one-on-one and he has 
this idea that they're all best friends in the office. Um, and so I feel like it's just a communication tool, basically, that he just wants to spend time talking to them and they won't listen to him in any other capacity. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the second he tells everybody he has a secret, they lose interest because I don't think they really care about any secret Michael knows. Um, but as soon as he tells them that secret, it's like a little bit of information that gives him power over them. Mm. So, yeah, I agree. Our next episode is The Meeting. It aired on September 24th, 2009, directed by Randall Einhorn, written by Aaron Schur. In the wake of the Buffalo branch of Dunder Mifflin's closing, the workload at the Scranton branch has increased because they are the ones absorbing it. David Wallace visits the branch and meets with Jim, and only Jim, in the conference room, leaving Michael outside guessing what they're talking about and at whose expense. Elsewhere in the office, Dwight and Toby investigate an incident involving Daryl in the warehouse, and that's that. For me, this is the opposite of the last episode. There's a lot more plot and a lot less comedy, I feel like. Um, So digging into the Jim David thing, clearly Michael does not like at all that Jim and David are having a meeting without him. He spends the entire episode figuring out how he can find out information. What are they talking about? Can I get in there? He bugs Pam to tell him what they're talking about. She refuses um first claims that she doesn't know um and that if she did like she couldn't tell him he says that the baby is going to come out a liar if she's lying don't think that's how it works but basically michael is just so i mean just like the last episode he's got to be in the middle of of everything and he doesn't like where this is heading what else could they be talking about except for him in his mind uh, I wanted to point out that right off the bat, David asks Michael for a rundown on the Buffalo clients huh. by Monday. I didn't realize that. Yeah, uh, which to me maybe communicates that Michael doesn't use proper sales jargon around the office since Jim didn't know what a rundown was, but Michael seems to. Um, mm. But, you know, regarding Michael's response to Jim and David meeting together, it's it's almost. Uh, like flashbacks to the coup back in season three. And this time it seems like he's aware of his inadequacies. Uh, he says, Wallace had to show up on the one four month period that I'm completely overwhelmed. <laughs> uh, I mean, not to his discredit, it is a busy time. They've got a lot going on. They're absorbing the Buffalo branch, but um, something that's pointed out in the deleted scenes, and I'll just briefly say it. Andy says, you've been screwing up a lot le- recently. So things are, it is a rough patch for Michael, and he is aware that it's a rough patch for him. And so that's, that's what's sort of leading this fear. Uh, it's not the first time one of his subordinates has had a meeting in the dark with his superior. But it turns out it's not really about Michael at all. In fact, um, Jim asked to meet with David because he's interested in moving into a management position. David wants to know Michael's opinion on this later, but out of fear that they're talking about Michael, Michael just spends the whole day needing to get into the office, um, needing to know what's going on. And so ultimately he and Andy come up with a plan to sneak him in via a cheese cart that Andy's going to set up. So he's like a rolling table where there's a, a lower level where Michael can sit on and they put a tablecloth over 
and he sneaks into this meeting. And of course, Michael's luck, the meeting is ending right as Andy drops off this ridiculous cheese platter. Uh, so Michael still doesn't know. And then David asks to speak with Michael in his office after, I mean, the meeting's over. Michael has to sneak back out of the cheese cart. Um, and David asks to speak to Michael. It turns out it wasn't really about him at all. In fact, Michael, if Jim got this promotion and moved into Michael's position, Michael will then also be promoted. But he's still scared. It's not what he wants. And that's my discussion topic, actually, so I'm going to leave that there for a little bit. But um, he's not really looking to make any changes right now. No. Um, he he basically sabotages Jim's chances. He compares him to Big Bird of Sesame Street, who, you know, I like him. He's nice, but I wouldn't trust him to make the big decisions. And then he brings out old performance reports that, that are from Toby. And it's clearly from a time when Toby was still, I mean, we can assume that Toby is still jealous, but it was at a time where the, it was sort of at the heights of his jealousy of Jim with Pam. And uh, he, he actually uses the phrase, not at all what he thinks he is in this report. So, I mean, this clearly isn't an unbiased report, but nonetheless, it's used against Jim. And it, it comes right before Michael actually knows what that meeting was about. Michael realizes that Jim wasn't trying to kick him out and steal his job. He was trying to promote Michael and promote himself, but it was a sort of win-win for both of them. Uh, but at that point, it was sort of too late for him to backtrack on his words, too. Uh, leaving David awkward with Jim, who feels like he did something wrong. And so Jim confronts him and he's hurt. And he says, you know, did you say something? Like, what happened? Uh, because I thought things went really well. And then you talked to him and then it didn't have that vibe anymore. Um, now, there was something said where Jim says, how many times did I ask you to put me up for branch manager? So it seems like Jim's been trying to get a promotion of some kind for a while, and Michael is just sort of holding on to Jim and not doing that so that he doesn't lose him or hammer the baby. I mean, I get it. Jim's a valuable asset, but I always think of like a parent or a teacher, which Michael likes to think that he is. Your job is to not keep your kids for yourself, but make them into better people and then send them off into the world so they can do better things. And he's right. not letting Jim do that. Um, if he is the, the friend he hopes he is, well, he's not being that friend right now. Right. So they do make amends with each other or Michael makes amends with Jim. Uh, they make the phone call to, to David. They, he vouches for Jim. Um, and then it's suggested put on the table Okay, instead of Michael leaving to be head of Northeastern sales and Jim taking Michael's job, you're both going to sort of level out and be co-managers. And Michael is going to take care of the big picture client stuff. And Jim is going to take care of the day-to-day -day stuff. And you're going to be co-managers at the same branch. So that's the proposal at the end of the episode. That's where we sort of leave off. But there was something interesting that I just wanted to highlight. When they're on that final phone call with David, they're on speakerphone in Michael's office, and uh, Michael sort of hesitates to pull the trigger on this whole co-manager thing. David says, hey, Michael, how about you pick up for a second? So only 
uh, only Michael can hear what David is saying. And he says, if you're not on board with this, Michael, and you're willing to lose Jim, who apparently has another job offer somewhere else on the table, then that's okay. We will figure things out. So what was interesting to me about that is, despite everything, David still trusts in Michael's abilities as manager, even if it means losing Jim, who is clearly talented and promising and could have a real big future in this company. But And who David likes personally. Yeah, I mean, they, they have a great relationship. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I still don't know exactly what David sees in Michael. It's not like they have a super long history. David didn't start working there until season two uh, for us. So it's only been three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he he thinks Michael's doing something right, despite his frustrations. Uh, and was willing to let Michael keep his job the way it is and lose Jim over it. So, yeah. Um, and of course, the episode ends with right after that phone call, it, it's kind of left up in the air. And then it cuts to Michael introducing Jim as co manager. They have agreed on it. Um, this is now what's happening. Jim has been promoted, he is now a manager. Um, and they kind of clap for him and we cut to a, I hesitate to call it a talking head with Dwight. (laughs) Uh, he just screams (laughs) at the top of his lungs. Uh, and that's how we end the episode. Yeah. He's clearly very pissed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so talking about Dwight, he has sort of the other part of this episode. Um, Daryl has filed workers' comp with Toby for an incident in the warehouse involving him falling off of a ladder. Dwight overhears and thinks that Daryl is lying. He convinces Toby to investigate. And so uh, they go down to the warehouse. Things seem suspicious. So they end up going to Daryl's place. And they see someone who looks like Daryl walking without the aid of crutches, uh, looks like him, carrying a bag of dog food so they can't actually see the face. And they get pissed. Like, clearly Daryl has lied to us. He has tried to bamboozle us, but we have caught him. Congratulations to us, Master Detectives. And they get pissed. They yell only for her to turn and reveal that it's a woman who we later learn is Daryl's sister. Yeah, I get it. They're wearing the same outfit. They have the same height, haircut. I get it. Um... Not cool, though. (laughs) And then, of course, when Daryl hears the yelling, he comes out of the house on his crutches uh, to to see who was doing the yelling. So uh, they then, the two of them, Daryl and his sister, decide to come to Dunder Mifflin and file a complaint against Toby and Dwight. And so now it's just a back and forth, back and forth of complaining against each other. And uh, they did do some research. It looks like... Daryl couldn't have broken his ankle the way that he said he did. He said that he fell off a ladder. Um, he was reaching on the top shelf for something and he fell off, but the ladder doesn't reach the top shelf. Um, it just doesn't look right. And then, sure enough, they see that the warehouse guys have been using the lift as an elevator to get up to the door. There's a stairway down that they've been bypassing and using the lift. And White Daryl fell over the... Uh, he he broke the railing and that's how he, he broke his ankle. So it d- 
did he did lie about how he broke his ankle, but it ended up being back and forth and back and forth. And Toby suggests that instead of everyone filing complaints against each other, they just should apologize and move on. Instead, Dwight and Daryl decide, yep, we're going to file a bunch of complaints. And so Toby gets stuck with <laughs> just piles of paperwork that he has to file against himself, basically. Yeah, basically. Um, <laughs> uh, the other tiny part of this episode uh, is Pam is walking around asking people about RSVPs to their wedding, uh, which revealed is in Niagara Falls, or it's, it's going to be at Ni- Niagara Falls. Uh, they didn't think people would come if they put the wedding, if they hosted the wedding in Niagara Falls. But then Michael gave everyone at the office Friday before and the Monday after off if they attend the wedding. So now everybody's going to go to the wedding because that means they don't have to work. Uh, yep. And so she's walking around asking people. Kelly says, you know, I don't want to go if Ryan's not going because, I mean, what's the point? Ryan says, I'll, I'll maybe drop by. Uh, Meredith says, you know, I will eat whatever is fanciest, unless there's ribs. And I will just, I'll, I'll text you for directions that morning. Nope. <laughs> and so, so that's, that happens. And then there's a moment with Angela at the very end. And it's like a moment of solidarity for a, a brief second where Angela just says, you know, like, unbelievable. How, how rude of Meredith to, to make these assumptions about texting you the morning of your wedding for directions. And so, Pam is like, yeah, yeah, very rude, isn't it? And so she tries to have a seat in the break room at the table with Angela. And Angela just interrupts her and says, whoa, 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 Pam, my bag was sitting there. (laughs) Okay, never mind. (laughs) I tried. (laughs) Yeah. And that's that. (laughs) Going on to funny stuff. What do you got? Uh, The cold open again. Uh, This is, yikes. Um, Poor I think this is. For me, it's funnier than the parkour one, but in a really awful way. Um, (laughs) So Michael has called Oscar into his office. Um, He's feeling nervous about an upcoming procedure that he has to have done. Oscar says, okay, yeah, uh, what's the procedure if you don't mind me asking? Michael says it's a colonoscopy. Um, Oscar starts to get a little suspicious. Michael asks... Oscar, what he should be expecting physically and emotionally. Is there anything he could do to make it more pleasurable for himself or for the doctor? Should he have a safe word? And Oscar just sits there in silence until he can't do it anymore and just gets up and leaves. Oh, Ugh, so bad. Uh, poor Os- it's, it's the second episode in a row where a straight man has approached him because he's gay for specific advice in the world of gayness to put it <laughs> simply uh, it is awful uh, <laughs> but like like you said sort of morbidly funny yeah uh, so at the start of the episode after the cold open and the, the theme and everything michael is trying to sort of one up david's expectations regarding that rundown david says you think you can get that rundown to me monday uh, monday morning he says david i'll do you one better i'll get it to you sunday sunday night david says so okay so i'll get it monday and michael says wait 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 i'll put it in the mail on sunday no post on sundays uh so he won't get it until wednesday i i think an email and the little attach button would work a-okay it would be do it would do just fine kind of like dwight's uh (laughs) 
virtual I am versus, <laughs> uh, versus physical I am. <laughs> uh, when Michael is bugging Pam for Jim and Wallace information, Michael like leads into the conversation by saying, you and Jim are close, huh? <laughs> Pam says, yeah, I think the pregnancy really brought us together. <laughs> <laughs> As if they're not engaged and getting married in a few weeks. Um, this moment always makes me laugh. It's when, uh, at the end of the episode, Michael has called David back or he's, he's picking up the phone to talk to David and Jim is in there too. And then David says, Hey, is Jim there? Michael says, no. And David says, well, how about you bring him in? I'd like for him to be on this call too. And well, Jim is already there. So rather than just like, Having Jim speak up, Michael decides, oh, we need to make this convincing. Like, I said he wasn't in here, so we got to make it so he has an entrance. And so he says, oh, Jim's, here he is right here. And so he knocks on his desk. He imitates the click and the, the creak of the door opening, footsteps as Jim walks up, because you can clearly hear the footsteps very strongly on the carpet in the office. Carpet. <laughs> and then he gestures to Jim. Hi, David. <laughs> very Foley artist of him. Yeah, very nice. Um, this one isn't funny as much as it is just like, I mean, it is funny, but it's Ryan, so I don't think it's that funny. Um, it's when Pam is asking Ryan if he's coming to the wedding, and he's like, oh, yeah, maybe I'll show up. Maybe I won't. I don't know. He's not going to commit. And Pam says... You know, it costs about $75 a person. If you could really just let me know, that'd be great. And he takes a second, takes a beat and says, okay, I'll come to your wedding. And it's just like, (laughs) you're not doing her a favor. Like, she doesn't want you there. (laughs) It's more money now that she has to pay. Like, thank you so much for coming. It's just, he's doing her such a favor. Well, in his defense, in that that moment, just that moment, that's the only time I'm really going to (laughs) defend Ryan right now, at least. It it's that Michael Scott Paper Company camaraderie, you know? It's oh, like, you yeah. know, Pam, I will be there for your wedding because we went through this ordeal together and I'd be happy to be there and support you. I didn't Maybe that's not the that. place he's coming from, <laughs> but I, I like to think there's a little bit of, of You're an friendship in there. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Andy, you mentioned his cheese plate. Uh, it's it's such a fun little thing and we get a little bit more insight into it in the deleted scenes uh, but he he like disassembles sandwiches from the refrigerator to get cheese off of them for the cheese plate and then he's got grated parmesan and a blue cheese dressing from like a salad or something and goldfish is his nice firm cheddar <laughs> <laughs> and cheese whiz which has reacted with the air to form a nice rind gross which i think you'll find both challenging and delicious uh you know as unappetizing as this thing sort of sounds on paper i've got to hand it to andy he does a pretty decent job of trying to sell it which is saying something because he's supposed to be a pretty poor salesman he's got all the words (laughs) he's very yeah yeah um i love speaking of the cheese plate when uh andy rolls the cart through the main office it, it kind of gets lost because the whole office like starts to say stuff at the same time. But Stanley says, well, what do we have here? Hello. <laughs> 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 it just made me laugh really hard today. 
I'll, I'll get this episode's Creed moment. Um, <laughs> uh, commenting on Jim and David in the conference room, Creed approaches Michael and says, you know, I'm kind of worried they're talking about me. Michael says, no, I, I think they're talking about me. Creed says, you know what? That makes more sense, boss. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> like, thanks for taking that pressure off my back. Yeah. I'm glad it's you instead of me. They're not talking about your scuba certification it's okay right (laughs) um and last one for me i guess michael is um complaining slash bragging that he is has been working so hard he's working every day even some weekends he had to come in on a saturday and he says well to retrieve my cell phone i I left it here (laughs) no that doesn't count no (laughs) uh along that same same thing this was something i skipped earlier but uh when Jim and David are going into the conference room to have their meeting, uh, Michael says, all right, do you mind if I sit this out? I have so much work to do. I feel like I'm going to bro- blow my brains out. That's not a, a case for continuing your work. You know, like if you're yeah. so overwhelmed, uh, just not something yeah. he thought through very well, but it is Michael we're talking about. So what about deleted scenes? There are more for this one. There are. Michael has a talking head. He says, if I wanted to be in the position of giving people bad news, I'd be an anchor man or a coroner. I got into this industry because I want to give people good news. You know, Chad, how people get into paper industry to give people good news. Mm -hmm. It's a common stereotype. Um, He says examples like your paper is on its way. Yes, we have that in stock and it's lunchtime (laughs) are his good news catchphrases he gets to give it's all great news <laughs> that would make my day brighter to know that my paper was on its way your amazon notification yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh five reams wow <laughs> okay <laughs> when pam asks phyllis about the rsvp uh phyllis interrupts with like this colossal sneeze wind up it's like the the whole weird face thing like snarling your nose preparing to let everything loose from your face and it never comes and so you think oh that well that was weird then pam starts to say okay yeah so about the rsvp though phil says hold on can can you wait a second and so she tries to like walk it off and she goes out to the main office area because they're in the kitchen and she says so who all is going to jim and pam's wedding and then she turns around to pam yeah, you can you can count me in for now. Ugh, man, how incredibly rude, you know? I, I, Do you I, think that the uh, sneeze was fake? Was she killing time? That's what I think. I think so, too. I, I think if it had just been the sneeze, I would have believed it. But the fact that she then used it to sort of walk out and quiz everybody else or poll everybody else. I don't know. I guess she's still trying to f- to forgive Pam for the whole Michael Scott paper company. I, I don't know. but it, she seems pretty antagonistic to Pam some of the time. I like this deleted scene. Michael has a talking head. He says he can always tell if someone's lying. He just needs to know two things. One, what the person is saying. And two, what the truth is. If those things are different, then the person is lying. He says, well, I know what Pam said. Now all I need to know is, what is the truth? <laughs> yep, that's how, that's how lying works, Michael. <laughs> Um, we get extended scenes in this one. The first is of Toby and Dwight investigating the incident in the warehouse. They're trying to figure out if any of a certain product that's on the top shelf was ordered in the last few days. They ask if the ladder 
if they use the ladder, if they use the lift to reach items on the top shelf, and it's revealed it's the lift. They always use the lift for everything. And so they're like, we got we to gotta go to Daryl's place. We got to raid the house. And so Dwight says, your car? And Toby says, sure. Dwight says, great. We'll use your car to start my car. <laughs> I don't, I, why not just take Toby's car like you sort of <laughs> led, to, led him to believe? I don't know. Uh, we also got an extended scene, like you said, of um, Andy kind of telling Michael that he's been struggling. And Angela also says that um, she thinks Michael's been really bad at his job. That was an extension of, of a scene we got in the episode. Really not much else to add to that. Um, but worth noting that Angela also had something to say about Michael's performance recently. Well, I thought it was also... Interesting that Andy was the one who suggested the cheese plate for some reason. Just watching the episode by itself, I always thought of it as like a Michael idea, but it was an Andy idea, which I guess in retrospect sort of does make more sense because I don't think Michael even knew what a cheese plate was (laughs) before this. And in fact, this is probably what Michael sees as a cheese plate from now on rather than what like a real cheese plate would look like. And it's uh, confirmed and well, enforced in the deleted scenes that uh, this was in fact Andy's idea because Michael at first refuses to be wheeled into the conference room in a cheese cart. He says he's the branch manager. He wants something with dignity, maybe a caviar cart. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think he would like caviar if he ate it. I don't think so. Um, Then we get the stakeout at Daryl's place. Uh, Toby tells Dwight to be more careful with the binoculars because they're they're a little bit conspicuous. We don't want we don't want to basically shout to the neighborhood that you're spying on people. And Dwight says, "But they're they're camouflaged. No one can see them." <laughs> Toby says, "Well, well, I can." And Dwight says, "You you can only see them because you know where to look." That's not how camouflage <laughs> works. Like not, not really. that kind. Like the the camo army wear it is it doesn't make you yeah. invisible. You're not a chameleon. <laughs> uh, last one, I think, worth noting for me anyway. Pam um, <laughs> is running after Daryl to get his RSVP for the wedding. He's walking outside and she's like jogging after him. Daryl, Daryl, I need your RSVP. And as she catches up to him, she looks and it's actually not Daryl. It's Daryl's sister. Um, and so she tries to save face by still running and calling after <laughs> Daryl as if there's someone in front of her and there's not so she's just gonna run off into the distance looking for daryl that made me laugh you know it's funny it's funny this is the second time dwight has called shenanigans on a claim that somebody has made um the first would be again the secret uh when oscar called in sick to work and dwight was like nah that's bs and he was right and now he called bs on daryl's story about breaking his ankle he was right about that too. So as much crap as Jim might give Dwight about not being a real detective or not having solved any cases, he's pretty. This is twice now he's correctly called somebody's bluff. That's a good point. Yeah. So, Hmm. well, the discussion topic for this episode—I don't know that I really have an answer to it. But um, what do you think? Michael learns that if Jim got promoted, Michael would also get promoted. Why is he still against this plan? Um, I think 
it's again about separation. I think Michael is comfortable with his work environment now and likes the people he's working with, especially people like Jim and Pam. And so even if even though it would be a promotion for him, it would mean him not being at the Scranton branch all the time anymore. And who knows where he'd be living. They, they'd probably move him up to New York if he's in charge of all the Northeast sales like it was originally proposed. So there's that. Um, but I also think in that moment, Michael makes the case against Jim before David reveals exactly what Jim was proposing. And so once David reveals that and Michael's like, oh, he wasn't trying to get rid of me and replace me. He was benefiting me as well. It was sort of past the point of no return because Michael had already sort of drugged Jim through the mud a little bit. And it was almost saving face for himself. Well, I can't go back on what I was just saying because then I would be a liar. Right. So Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I, I do especially agree on the he doesn't want to leave. Um, mm-hmm. Every time we see Michael in New York, he's like, oh, I could move here. I, I love the energy. I love the city. But I don't think he actually would ever move. Um, he, he loves Scranton too much. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think we're on the same page. Well, that is the end of the official 54th episode of An American Workplace. Contact for the show, facebook.com slash workplace pod at workplace pod on Twitter. Go over to Apple Podcasts on your phone or on iTunes on your computer, and you can rate and review us. We haven't gotten any in a couple weeks. We'd love to get a couple new ones on there so we can shout you out next week. And if you have any feedback or ideas, you can email us at workplacepod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. And the best place to find me is at Chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also, Facebook.com slash Chad.Hopkins. And my other podcast is Cinescope, where we talk about the movies you love and why we love them. You can find that where podcasts can be found and at the website, thecinescopepodcast.com. Show notes and all contact information for this show can be found at workplacepodcast.com. Thank you again to our new Patreon subscriber, Carter. Thanks for your support. And to all of our Patreon subscribers, thanks for your support. If you want a shout out and more of an American workplace each week, you too can be a Patreon subscriber. Uh, It's so easy. Just including, you can get access to our show, outline, notes, a logo sticker, bonus episodes, live streams. Check out our Patreon page and click the support level you think is worth it to you at patreon.com slash workplace pod. That's all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 54 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 55 for our discussion on the next episode of season six, The Promotion. Goodbye. Bye. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. Katie, how are you doing on this unusual recording day? Oh, hold on, Chad. We're off air. <laughs> oh my goodness, no. I just realized. And I was thinking this whole build-up, <laughs> I need to hit the record yeah. button, and then I don't That's do cool. it. Okay. Take two. Here we go.